The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's a party today. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And we are celebrating our 300th episode today. Can you believe it? 300 episodes of Talk is Jericho. It's a huge, huge show with a huge, huge guest in honor of this milestone event of Talk is Jericho 300. Only one guest big enough, legendary enough, heavy enough to mark the occasion. Black Sabbath guitar player and founder of the greatest heavy metal band of all time, Tony Iommi, is here. That's right, the legendary Tony Iommi is here on Talk is Jericho. He's talking about the riffs. He's got the stories. He's got the rock god status. And he's bringing it all to today's magical, huge 300th show. He's talking about Black Sabbath's formation, why a short stint with Jethro Tull, that's right, Jethro Tull, was so instrumental to Sabbath's start. He's talking about finding Ozzy Osbourne, about Sabbath's original breakup, and then what brought the famous lineup back together again. He's got stories about their first gigs in the U.S. The infamous manager, Don Arden, Sharon's dad. All the lineup changes. Talking about Ronnie James Dio. You find out how Brad Wilkes from Rage Against the Machine ended up behind the kit for their last record, 13. Tony's also talking openly about his recent battle with cancer, lymphoma, and what role that played in Sabbath's decision to call it a career. So who better than a huge rock and roll Hall of Famer from a huge heavy metal band responsible for the entire heavy metal genre. Uh, You know, Sabbath begat Metallica. Let's be honest this is a huge historic episode episode 300 of talk is jericho tony iomi is here joining the uh, notary list of talk is jericho rock and roll hall of famers that i've had on uh, over the last uh, almost three years let's go through them Stuart copeland glenn matlock from the sex pistols he's coming up in a couple weeks slash duff mckagan paul stanley gene simmons ace fraley dmc glenn hughes david coverdale chad smith rob trujillo of course, I got a couple. I got a Iles Cooper, Tony Iommi. There's a lot of great, great uh, rock and roll Hall of Famers here, and Tony is one of the biggest ever on the 300th episode of Talk is Jericho. But before we get to Tony, I got a big reason why I made it to episode 300. I'm talking about DDP Yoga. 
Not just because DDP and his amazing DDP yoga program have been a longtime sponsor of this podcast, one of the longest running, one of the biggest, but also because DDP yoga has enabled me to keep my body going as well. I'm having one of the best runs of my WWE career. A Rolling Stone magazine uh, the other day said that I am the most entertaining wrestler of 2016. Well, thanks a lot, Rolling Stone. You stupid idiots. Uh, but there's a reason why I'm having such a great run, why I'm singing so well in Fozzie uh, and conducting interviews for this podcast with no pain whatsoever. It's because of DDP Yoga. And I'm not the only one. I'm talking about Kane, AJ Styles, RVD, McFoley, all on the DDP Yoga uh, train. Corey Taylor, Rich Ward, all doing DDP Yoga. And now Diamond Dallas Page has made it even easier than ever for you. That's right, you talking to you to start doing DDP Yoga. You can do it anytime, anywhere, any place, right from your phone or tablet with the DDP Yoga Now app. This app not only lets you do all the workouts right from your phone. I did one the other day when I came back from Europe. It also has a bunch of other cool features to help you on that path to healthy living. You can use the DDP Yoga Now app to track your heart rate and calories. You can use it for pain tracking measurements and progress photos and and DDP Yoga Now app subscribers won't ever get bored doing the same workouts over and over again because DDP's had a completely new 2.0 workouts and weekly live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center featuring ex-WWE superstar Steve Richards now working for Diamond Dallas Page as a yoga instructor. And for a limited time now... You can get the DDP Yoga DVDs if you still want those for 15% off. Plus, you'll get three months of full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. All you got to do is go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's all you got to do to take advantage of this great deal. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And you get 15% off the DDP Yoga program plus three months of full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get in the best shape of your life and do it today. Speaking of today, it is Talk is Jericho 300. Tony Iommi is here, but I just want to talk about uh, our European tour that we just had with the WWE. It was a good tour. It was a long one. I did nine shows in a row, which is the most I've done in a row probably in, I'd say, six or seven years. And uh, a little bit tough. Thankfully, DDP Yoga kept me rolling, uh, but also too a lot of travel. But also, it seems that uh, I told you that my birthday took place over uh, in Europe, in Berlin, Germany. We were over there. And I want to tell you a little bit kind of the birthday celebration that uh, my best friend, Kevin Owens, orchestra for me it was funny because I did my match with Sami Zayn earlier in the night and then uh, Kevin said uh, and Seth said okay Fit wants you involved in the last match which is funny because I hadn't been involved in the last match the whole tour so I was like okay well there must be some kind of a birthday celebration for me coming and so I go to the gorilla position and everybody's in there. So it's like, and I know that there's something going on because there's hardly ever everybody in there to watch the matches because you can watch them on a TV screen. Plus the New Day were in there and they usually just sit in the back playing video games. So I knew that something was going on. So anyways, I did my run in down to the ring. Uh, Seth Rollins was distracted. Kevin Owens beat him and then Kevin hit him with a move. So he has to sell. And then... Uh, Kevin says, hold on one second, and uh, they, they bring a cake down to the ring and put a cake in the ring, and I was like, oh, I know where this is going. There's never been a, a cake ever that entered a wrestling ring that made it out alive, so to speak. And then he called out the entire roster who came and surrounded the, uh, the uh, ringside area. Kevin put the cake down on a chair that was in the ring and then proceeded to sing me an awful slash amazing version of Happy Birthday where he changed the lyrics to... I love you because you're my best friend and all this other stuff. And then asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I believe I said I wanted a, 
I wanted a new bicycle. I wanted an above ground swimming pool. I wanted an entire set of 1986 Transformers. And I wanted the entire Halloween catalog on album. And he said I could have all those things. And then I was kind of looking at the crowd like with my back to Kevin. And I had no idea what was going to happen. I thought that Kevin was going to get put into the cake by Seth. And then Kevin goes, well, wait a second. All these people aren't here to pay tribute to you. They're here to, uh, to turn on you. And I turn around. He goes, look out, Chris. And I turn around and Seth's there with the cake. And of course, cake goes right in my face. Squishorama. And then the cake falls down. And then uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can't believe I fell for it. I never thought that I was the one going in the cake. I thought that Kevin was going in the cake. So I kind of stumbled aside. And then, of course, Rollins pedigrees Kevin right into the cake. And then taking a page of the classic Vince McMahon playbook when Steve Austin remember when he uh, filled the ring full of beer and Vince was literally swimming in the ring in the beer that's what I did with the cake I just kept taking bumps in the cake like I couldn't stand up because it was too slippery in the ring because the cake kept, kept making me uh, fall into the uh, into the mat so it was out of all the birthdays I've had overseas it was definitely the most memorable one I gotta thank Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins for um uh, orchestrating this and, and making it very special. Uh, the cake was everywhere. It took about an hour to get off of all my gear and to get out of my ears and my scarf just stinks of like stale cake. Now I got to take it to the dry cleaner, but it was all worth it in the end. And uh, thanks to all the guys that were involved and all of you in Berlin, you saw something very special. It's not easy to spend a birthday away from home, but it was awesome to do it with all of the great fans and all of my great friends in the WWE uh, having a great time in, in this run in the WWE. Like I said and when it where it stops nobody knows but i do know this talk is jericho it's never going to stop as long as i can help it and even better episode 300 is here today with tony iomi from black sabbath the legendary legendary riff wizard the architect of the greatest heavy metal band of all time tony iomi is my guest on talk is jericho 300 Oh, you're now to work then, then. Oh, yeah. It's like setting up your gear when you're in high school at the jam. You got to unravel all the cords. You put it on the mic, and I got to carry it around my pillowcase. So it's yeah, all set. I've got, I've got some of these. But, uh, the Zoom recorder? Yeah, they're, they're quite good, aren't they? I've used yeah. them at rehearsals and stuff. Do you record stuff on them too? Like ideas for riffs and stuff? Or? No, I do it on here. Oh, on your, on your iPhone? Yeah. Really? When I'm away, I do. You know, if I'm if I'm out and I want to put an idea down in the dressing room, I usually do it on that. Just but like, I have got those, but I, f I find them a bit complicated sometimes. In what way? I don't know. Uh, um, that one's um, I've I've got different models of that. Of the Zoom recorder, but, uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it, the sound quality is great. Oh yeah, it, it's, it is know? really good quality. But I've had every single. F with this thing where like you know the chip will go out or the thing won't turn on or the battery goes dead yeah, or the plug falls out that's what I'm at that's why I use <laughs> that just switch, oh no oh turn that on <laughs> but that's the modern technology that you could use nowadays yeah what did yeah. you used to do in the old days did you have to carry a 4 track with you or something like that in the old days yeah oh, in your head I took, oh yeah god in, in, in the early days there was no no such thing as a, a, a tape recorder as such I mean unless you had a big thing right so you used to have to sort of uh, remember it what you were going to do and uh, which was but that's, know, that's hard it was in the state we were in it was very hard <laughs> <laughs> but we're here in new york city with with tony Iommi, and um this you guys just make this your base in the middle of the tour uh, of the final tour but you guys base out of new york city and just fly to the different shows we are for the first uh well for the first 10 days uh, we're here do you like uh, new york city 
New York City. Mm -hmm. I do, but it's it's so weird because where I live in England, it's so quiet. It's a it's an old ancient village. So you know, it's so you can hear a pin drop if you go out there. And to come here for the first, you know, coming from there to here. And then sort of walking outside. God, it's like <laughs> mayhem. I know. It's like I was, yeah. I was driving here in the taxi, and it's like about a mile, but the taxi takes you know, 25 minutes. Oh, so I yeah. could walk. Yeah. But you just get lazy. I'll just sit in the taxi. And then it's raining, but I'm just sitting there going, why am I just walking? What's wrong with me? You know what? We got back from the gig last night, and we travel in a convoy sort of thing. And we got to the end of the road, and we couldn't get round because there was a trash cart emptying something so we're all sitting there in our different cars waiting and I thought well why don't we just get out and walk that it's just literally there but no we all sat there <laughs> yeah. everybody's waiting to see if anybody else is getting out because there was all sort of fans outside you know right. like, and it's funny like heaven forbid you actually get out and walk two feet and didn't have to walk through <laughs> two fans right but we actually did get out to the end. I got out, I got fed up. I was like, let's just get out and get in the hotel. Do you remember the first time you ever came to New York City? Yeah, in the 70s, 1970, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, God, it was the uh, first time I ever came here. It was, it was, I went mad, you know, trying to, oh, music shop, that's where I've got to go. <laughs> Try and look, see what they've got. And the geezer and myself went around looking at the music shops. Like you're talking about for records and stuff? You're talking no, about guitar no, shops? no, for guitar shops, oh, yeah, right, for right. guitars. Having a look, what, I mean, we couldn't afford them much in them days, but, <laughs> but you know, we'd go and have a look. But, um, yeah, the first gig we played here was a place called Ungano's Club, and we'd never had an experience of what it was like here, of course, coming from England, and we never had, um, we never used a monitor, we never had a monitor system or anything in them days. It was just like what we'd got. We brought our own PA, which was... A waste of time. Um, the the guy that we brought to be our roadie at that time plugged the equipment in and it blew up because it's the wrong voltage. <laughs> it was just chaos. So this Angana's club, we we were doing two nights there. So and we thought, God, is this it? You know, these are sort of gigs we'll be playing because it, it was quite a dump, really. Yeah. And we thought, is this what it's going to be like? You know. And then I think the third night or fourth night, whatever it was, we uh, we played um, the Fillmore, which was brilliant. And we had a, this monitor system, which we'd never seen before. Oh, wow, a monitor system. We can hear each other properly, you know. Yeah. So it, was, it, was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys have a, uh, have a fan base in the States by the time you came here? Yeah, we did, because uh, the first album came out and that done really well. And then Paranoid came out, of course, and went sort of uh, pretty high up. But... Mm -hmm. uh, but so we did have a, a fan base before we got there, yeah. So you had like an American record company that was pushing you? Warner Brothers, yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you know that? Or did you just expect like, what's it going to be like when we get here? Well, what's it going to be like? Because <laughs> yeah, we had no experience of that at all. Because where we played in England was, you know, and uh, Europe. Mm -hmm. But America was a, a totally different thing for us altogether. In the world, right? Yeah. When did you start uh, realizing that you guys had something special in America? Uh, well, the, the, the album stayed in the charts for 18 months or something ridiculous. But it was when we actually played it. The first time we played it was with Rod Stewart. Really? Yeah, what a funny bill. combination, really. Yeah. Rod Stewart and The Faces. And um, we opened up for them. And uh, when he came on, they're still shouting for us. So we thought, oh, my God, it was a bit embarrassing, really. <laughs> and we'd done it twice. We'd done... 
this same thing happened again another time with Rod Stewart and uh, we went down sort of better than him sort of thing you know and it was oh no so then I mean we sort of knew from, from that uh, the way that the shows were selling and the way things were happening like that really for us but it hadn't really happened like that we'd been going for a while mm -hmm. but you know to come here and um, and, and just build up and we, and we went on to I think the first tours with uh, Mountain with Mountain, Les okay. Leslie West and Felix Papalandi, yeah. See, that's pretty, like, that, that's the way it was kind of in the 70s, you'd have all these different types of bills of yeah, yeah. just big bands, but maybe not the most, uh, like you said, the, the perfect pairing, mm. you know, but that's that, that doesn't happen anymore. No, it, it doesn't. And the same in Europe. I mean, we used to do uh, these gigs with all sorts of totally opposite sort of music to what we'd be playing, and they were accepted, you know, it mm. was just the way it was. But you guys always had, like, I mean, I could see you guys playing with, like, a blues band or playing with, like, you know, I mean, because that's what Sabbath started as, which is basically a, a heavy uh, blues it, band. It was, yeah, yeah. You could be put with, you know, Rare Earth or Blue Cheer or Hendrix or something like yeah. that. It would fit. Mm. You know, it was kind of the vibe that you guys had. That's right, yeah. Right. But we but we did, well, we did gigs with the, a lot of, uh, on the festivals, Flock, I remember them. Do you remember Flock? Flock? Flock. No, I don't yeah. know Flock. Oh, that was a, a long time ago. Okay. And uh, uh, and I think our early tours, we took uh, Fleetwood Mac out with us. See, that's they, kind of peculiar, they, right? Yeah, they toured with us for a long time. Hmm. But the original Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green, and they were more blues-based right. then. And, uh, oh, God, we had all sorts of bands from the early days uh, uh, that, that toured with us. Right, right. But it was, it was great. I mean, we, but we'd always have, like... As we went on, we'd always have bands with us for six or eight months. You know, like Van Halen toured with us for eight months, Boston toured with us for eight or nine months. We <laughs> that's another, to, it was kind of a strange one, Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th that's sort of the, the way it went then. And um, I mean, I'd never heard of most of these bands until we came uh, and we ended up touring together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they were great. I mean, they were really nice, and we we had a good thing going. You know. So yeah, it was good, it was good. let me ask you a question. Something we just mentioned about Sabbath kind of starting out as a blues band. What kind of made you decide to to turn into what at the time was heavy metal now, but at the time was no name for it? Mm, that's right. How did you get so heavy from starting those bases, just kind of more of a jammy blues type of a band? Yeah, well, it was basically. I think what made us more serious was when I joined Jethro Tull for it just a very brief period <laughs> and it, it wasn't for me yeah um, you don't like flute flute solos yeah it, it's um and i just done the film i don't know the rolling stones rock and roll circus with them the the movie oh. and um and that was it because they said would you just do this then because i said like, it's not really for me I, I, i'm gonna you know Quick segue, how was that? Because that's one of the most famous movies that people have never really seen. Yeah, Lennon well, it, was it was there. And, uh, everybody was there. And, uh, I mean, for me, coming from... I never knew any of these. Yeah. And uh, it was so weird, because here I am suddenly in... We had the reception first in a hotel in London. And there's the Stones, John Lennon, The Who... Clapton. Clapton. Mm -hmm. um, you name it, they were there. And Marianne Faithful, who was the only one, she come talking to me, and I thought, oh, God, I, don't, I didn't know what to do. I thought, because I didn't know anybody, <laughs> apart from the Jethro Tull, who I was with, you know. <laughs> right. And obviously, you're probably a big Beatles fan and a big Who fan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up with all, the, all right. these, uh, these, these guys. 
and uh, it was really peculiar because the Stones were playing at the at the at their own sort of reception, if you like, and it was it was atrocious. They started arguing, and uh, because um, Brian Jones couldn't get in tune, and then they started arguing. I thought, bloody hell, this is you know, <laughs> and it's everybody sort of gone quiet, you know, while they're arguing. It was such a peculiar thing. <laughs> it's like when uh, when two when a married couple starts arguing in front of you, it just gets awkward. Yeah, right? it was really awkward, Dude. and everybody's going. Oh. <laughs> um, but as the thing went on, the filming and stuff, it was good, and uh, you know, you got to meet uh, uh, Lennon and he, he, Lennon and Clapton and uh, everybody playing together. It was it was good. It was, yeah, they were the Dirty Max. They played a couple tunes together. It was it was great, but the the thing was that that thing that movie never came out for years, and I, I'd bump into um, uh, Bill Wyman a few times. I said, well, "What's happening with that film?" He went, "Oh, I'll send you a copy." You know, the old, I'll send you a copy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it never turned up. Bill, Tony's still waiting. If you're listening. <laughs> I did get one in the end, but oh, it you? took a long time. It's maybe I think it's because the Stones were so bad on it, because you, like you said, they were arguing it out of tune. I think it's probably yeah. why it never came out, right? I think there must have been a lot to it. And, of course, by the time it came out, most, most of the people were dead. Yeah. You know, John Lennon had gone and bloody, you know, uh, uh, the Brian Jones. Yeah. And a lot of those guys... So, Keith yeah. Moon and everybody like that. Yeah. So you mentioned you started with Jethro Tull and that kind of led you to get him. Yeah, just a short period with Jethro Tull. And we were together, as, uh, but it weren't Sabbath, it was we were called Earth mm -hmm. then. And we supported Jethro Tull because we were doing blues stuff then. And uh, Ian and Anderson asked me if I'd join them on that night. Oh, Christ. What am I going to do? Yeah. And, I, and I told the rest of the guys, I said, look, you know, they've asked me if I'd, if I'd join them. And they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I don't know. And they said, you should. Well, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, OK. Um, so I went along and had a, a, a play with them and stuff like this, but it, it just didn't feel right for me. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, I still, I, I still stay in touch with Ian Anderson. Mm. Yeah, he's still here for him. But um, I said to Geezer, because Geezer came down with me when I went to play with them uh, in London. And we stayed with one of the ten years after at his flat. And uh, I said to Geezer, oh, I don't feel comfortable. Should we get the band back together? He went, Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So we found. I found Ozzy and Bill. I said, Look, you know, let's get back together. I'm not going to do this. And from that day on, we started writing our our own stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, took it more serious. This, this is what we've got to do because I learnt with Jethro Tull. Because beforehand, we'd be just, you know, I'd pick the others up at two o'clock in the night. We'd be, be always never on time, now he's on time. And I used to have to go in and pick him up. I was the only one that could drive then. <laughs> so after the Jethro Tull thing, I see now they worked, and it was like nine o'clock rehearsal. True professionals. Uh, oh, they're yeah. really. T uh, so I, I tried it with our man. I said, right, we've got to start, re we've got to start rehearsing nine o'clock in the morning. Forgetting I've got to pick them up as well. <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> but it, it worked, you know, it, and we took it really, this is what we've got to do and let's, let's get down to it and jam along and enjoy it. And, and that's sort of how the music sort of came. I thought we started coming up with um, this weird, we didn't even know what it was. I mean, the first song uh, we'd done was uh, Wicked World. Mm -hmm. And the second one was Black Sabbath, which was really different. 
and we were still playing blues clubs at this point. Um, we did, it was hard to get gigs in the early days because there weren't that many blues clubs you could play in England. So anyway, we we we, we play this the twelve bar set that we had. You know, every song was a twelve bar, <laughs> fast or slow. Yeah. Um, and then we said, let's try these new songs in. You know, these uh, Black Sabbath and, uh, and and Wicked World. And God, the the, the, the audience really was amazed. You know, what is this stuff that came up afterwards? What are those songs? We'd never heard anything like this. And we were, oh, that's our own song. You know, all proud of it and everything. And it sort of went from there. We knew we knew when we wrote those, certainly Black Sabbath, it, it just gave us a certain feeling. We knew we got something very different mm. in them days. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I was telling a good friend of mine, I was like, guess who I'm interviewing tomorrow? He goes, who? I said, what's the most evil riff of all time? He goes, a Black Sabbath. Bingo, Tony. <laughs> Everyone will say that, like Black Sabbath is the creepiest, most quote-unquote evil-sounding riff uh, I mean, did you know that? I mean, do you feel that way when you play it? I mean, it's still very creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from day one, when we first ever done that, we had this feeling through your spine that this is really different. And when we play it now, it's it's still this, you know, it's that same sort of mm -hmm. feeling. Even though after all these years, mm -hmm. you know, forty odd years, uh, nearly fifty years, right. and um, yeah, it still gets sort of that thing from it. I always found that Ozzy too singing that song and most of the Sabbath songs. He sounds like, like Satan is standing beside a, him, and as soon as he finishes the vocal track, he's gonna whisk him away and take him <laughs> to hell. It's just like this desperate, you know, just just lonely. You know, it's, yeah. it fits perfectly for for your riffs. Yeah, and it was very different doing it. Sort of this sort of, um, it's just a different song altogether to what was a, a, around at that mm -hmm. time, and uh, so that laid our benchmark for where we were going. And that started the first vibe, and then on, on they went, you know, just sort of uh, coming up with mm -hmm. things that go for that album, for the first album. And like you said, here you are 50 years later, and it's like the pioneers, the inventors of heavy metal. I think it's you guys in, in Zeppelin, depending on what side of the metal coin you're on. Well, that's right. I mean, they've never sort of, I mean, we know Zeppelin well, and, right. uh, and uh, they would never class themselves as heavy metal. I mean, that would be... <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> um, but uh, but again, we didn't either, funny enough. Uh, we th thought we were heavy rock. Mm -hmm. So uh, when the term heavy metal came, I, I heard it from... I think it was a guy from Musical Express said, oh, you, well, you, of course, you, you're playing... Uh, doing an interview, you play heavy metal. I mean, heavy metal, what's that? <laughs> and I went, well, that's what you're playing. I said, heavy metal? I've never heard that. <laughs> and it became this thing, and we sort of shunned it for a bit, and then at the end of the day, we play heavy metal, that's what we did. <laughs> <Just embrace> it, <right? laughs> we gave in at the end. Because <laughs> that, that's a term from it's, Steppenwolf's song, right? Yes, heavy metal thunder. Metal thunder, yeah. And someone just applied yeah. it to, to the faster, darker music. Yeah, and I think because, you know, we were from an industrial town, and, uh, you know, I worked in that 
with metal, sheet metal and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and welding, and it all sort of came part and parcel. Same as Judas Priest. I mean, they are, you know, from the same town, from Birmingham as well. well I mean, yeah. later, but they're just the same. But Zeppelin, no, no, they wouldn't want to know. <laughs> yeah. They want to take, uh, take credit for that, right? <laughs> I remember I was reading something that uh, Ginger Baker said. They said Cream was one of the first, or the Cream was uh, responsible for the birth of heavy metal, and they said we should have aborted it. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> yeah. Well, he would, wouldn't he? <laughs> is, that, is that a true story uh, for the 13 record? That Rick yes, Rubin, it is. Ru- Rick, Rick Rubin Rubin. suggested Ginger Baker play drums on it. Yes, he did, which quickly got dismissed <laughs> as you, for obvious reasons as you can imagine I just couldn't see Ginger Baker with us and, uh, what I was his mindset in suggesting that well he was looking for somebody from from our era which mm-hmm. weren't many left <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Ginger Baker a, a few other drummers uh, came up from him just a handful of them really. mm. and I suggested a couple that I knew but there weren't many that could, that was in that sort of vein. And so he, he, he said Ginger Baker. And he also mentioned Clive Bunker, actually, from Jethro Tull, hmm. who I haven't spoke to Clive for years. So that's sort of how that happened. And then he came up with Brad Wilkes to do it because um, he knew Brad and he'd worked with Brad and he thought that would be a, you know, a good fit. We actually did try McCartney's from a... Laboria. No kidding. He was a really brilliant player. Wow, he's a great player. Yeah, really good. And I think we'd have gone for, for him, to be honest. But he was, McCartney had asked him to do some stuff, so he, he couldn't work on the same. We rehearsed a couple of days. No kidding. Yeah, and he was great, a really great player. Picked it up so quick and natural player, you know. Right. Uh, but it just uh, he was it just didn't happen for his time because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we need a certain time to record sure, of course, rehearse of course. And, and, and still write you know so Rick then said Brad so we tried Brad and, and we had Brad what did you think when uh, 13 came out and went to number one which I believe was your first number one record ever yes <laughs> well first in 40 odd years yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Paranoid was the first okay so the Paranoid did go to number one yeah but, um, yeah, it seemed really weird after all that time. <laughs> I mean, we've had, you know, number eights and threes and fours. Yeah. And, but never another one since Paranoid. Mm-hmm. So it was good to see that the fans were waiting for it and excited about it. Yeah, it sort of built up, and I think because we're back together and, um, you know, mm-hmm. doing it, finally doing an album after all these years. <laughs> and it, it just sort of went and... Uh, we wrote, we actually wrote um, 16 songs originally, mm-hmm. and then Rick sort of picked the, the eight to go on it, and the other ones just went as bonus tracks or mm-hmm. yeah, 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 or whatever. You know. Did you guys ever think about doing another record after that last tour? Yes, we did, and, and I thought we were going to because I started writing stuff for it, mm-hmm. and then it got to we had a meeting and. Um, Geezer wasn't too up for actually doing one. He thought, well, and I could understand his point because once you've had a number one, where do you go? <laughs> if you don't get to number one, oh, they've had it now. That's right, it was number two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we thought, well, yes, okay, well, we, we, it's probably best to, mm-hmm. to tour. Uh, and so that's sort of what we did, really. We, we, we yeah. done the tour instead of an album, but I was already to do an album. And so was I, was really. He, he, uh, you know, I talked to him on stuff and. 
So I've got got all this material now. So what do you do with it, right? <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, I have got a lot of stuff over the years. I've just uh, stockpiled it. But I'll do something uh, along the line with it. I mean, you're so proficient with, with your riffs. I mean, there's nobody on the planet that's written more cooler riffs than, than you have. <laughs> I think maybe James Hetfield number two, but you're definitely, I think, number one at this point in time. <laughs> Thanks. I'm sure you have riffs that you have stockpiled that are better than most bands you know riffs now i've got a a lot of you know there's there's so much stuff i i'm even frightened to go and listen to it because by the time i've listened to a riff i could have written another one <laughs> if you know if you're fine and trying to find a particular riff right i can i can generally touch wood i haven't had much problem coming up with the uh, riffs that's the if, if i can do anything that's probably the one thing i can do <laughs> but i've got a lot i've got a lot of stuff and uh, i've got it all on you know CD and uh, whatnot, and lot on the phone, yeah, and me other phone, and me other phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as, you, as the years have gone by, you sure. know, change the phones, yeah. get new phones. Yeah. What are some of your favourite riffs that still stand out for you? Uh, God, I think from the original lineup, um, I, I like, I still like Black Sabbath and Iron Man, and mm -hmm. and um, Into the Void is probably a, it's a great one. Yeah. One of me favorite ones because there's more happening in that you mm -hmm. know, instrumentally really. so, I like um, some of the more obscure ones like I still think Bible Black is just a great oh yeah with Ronnie yeah with Ronnie yeah. from the Heaven and Hell record I mean that was a great period as well with Ron and Ron was really great to work with you know? mm -hmm. we, had a, we had a good relationship and he'd sit down and bounce off and write the songs you know we pull them apart, put them together again pull them apart, put them together again well he's a different type of singer than Oz is too as well yeah, right? yeah when you first started working with him, what kind of differences did you find? Well, the writing was, went totally different. When we first started working with Ronnie, uh, Evan and Hell was the, that first album mm -hmm. with Ronnie. So the sound slightly changed, and the the way of writing, because Ronnie wasn't used to singing over riffs. Mm. Ronnie was used to singing over chords, basically. And uh, I said, well, you know, we do riffs. <laughs> <laughs> And um, for example, you're talking about let's say Iron Man, where Ozzy would sing along with the riff. That's nah, right. Nah, yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. Like, Ronnie didn't do that. Uh, no, he, um, he he more preferred to sing to it in them days, mm -hmm. sing to it. But he got into the mold of it and how it worked. And I remember we'd done um, a track called Die Young, and I played him the idea, and he went and it changed to a slope. This. And a quiet bit. He went, Oh, you can't do that. I said, What do you mean you can't do that? He said, You can't change that that drastic to something quiet. I said, Well, we've been doing it for the last how many albums, these different changes, and you know, that's what we do. And he sort of got, Oh, I see, you know, eventually. And and he could get the hang of it. And he was great. I mean, he was really good to work with, Ronnie. Yeah, well, once again, there's only a few vocalists, bands that have had a second vocalist. You think Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden or Sammy Hager and Van Halen, yeah. Ronnie Dio and Sabbath, where you struck gold twice, Yeah, which is pretty yeah. rare. And it was tough because Ronnie had a, you know, a big job to sure. fill. Because coming in, and of course, I mean, everybody going, oh, he's, you know, he's a midget and this, you can't have a midget. Well, I remember Don Arden going, who was sort of semi-managing us at that time, he said, you can't have a midget come and sing for Sabbath. <laughs> I go, oh, God. I said, but his voice, his voice is... It's a giant. Is, I mean, you yeah. know. He got such a powerful voice. And he was always 
good. He'd never like singing flat, or he'd always mm-hmm. be like. And he never warmed up. He never. He just had smoking cigarettes, oh, smoking yeah. joints. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And 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 people in the dressing room run up until he, his dressing room until he'd go on stage and he'd go on. He'd be boozing away beforehand. Go on, sing perfectly. Yes. <laughs> just a natural. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I mean, most people would die for a voice like that. You know? Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You mentioned Don Arden. You hear stories about him being just like this typical 70s Peter Grant style oh, yeah. hard, hard ass manager. Was that the truth? Yes, it was. They were all from the same stable, really. Uh, you know, the old axe on the table and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> well, when we first met Don, he sent these two people out with us, uh, basically. One, <laughs> I mean, they looked like gangsters, to be honest. The one who got this hat on and a long coat and <laughs> big guy. And then the other one was a little little guy, but he was like, you know, the villain, if you like. They'd carry a briefcase with a hammer in it and anybody never paid, they'd, they'd be at one of these knee jobs. I mean, they were pretty... Wackier oh, in the wack- knee. Yeah. They were pretty brutal in them days. So you said it's like mafia type it stuff. It was, yeah. Right. It really was. So that was our first experience with Don. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. How's that for you guys as rock rock musicians? Like, are you scared of him or are you tell him to f*** off? Or? Uh, well, yeah, in the end of the day, I mean, we... I got to know him really well, and he'd call me into the office because he'd always want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I'd go, Don, you can't keep calling me up just to come and have a chat, you know. Because he'd go, can you come in the office? They'll come in the office, and uh, yeah. And uh, it, there was nothing, really. And I said, Don, you know. So I got, got used to him at the end, but he, he was, in the early days, he was notorious. I mean, he managed the faces and ELO, and I mean, he... He had this reputation, just like uh, Peter Grant did. Mm-hmm. Like you said, basically come in and beat you up if you didn't pay. Or... Oh yeah, they'll send a send a little team in or something, you know. Yeah. Hang a guy over a balcony by his legs. Oh yeah, he did, he did that. <laughs> the seventies. So you'd never get away with that now, <laughs> no, would you? <laughs> Someone would be filming it with their phone and be on the oh, front page of TMZ. <laughs> oh, you can't move now, can you? Without yeah, that, that's the truth. Yeah. You're talking before about uh, you made a couple of inroads about the band. Uh, with Ozzy in the 70s you guys are getting pretty crazy with all the different substances etc what was it like when Van Halen came and opened the shows for you were they were they kicking your guys' ass they were good I mean yeah. they were again a different breed they came with a new style of playing really a new guitar player that was playing something very different and I thought I mean these are they're really good and they took so they two with us for eight or nine months mm-hmm. and uh I got to see Eddie. I mean, I'm still really great friends with Eddie. We stay in contact a lot. But we used to get together and he'd come round the room and we'd be, you know, the old Coke and all the rest of the stuff. And we'd be sitting there talking all night, you know, a load of rubbish, basically. Uh, But we got really to, you know, we got really friendly with each other. 
but they were learning also from us, seeing how things went, what was the good way of be on the side of the stage, you know, seeing if what went down good. And mm-hmm. so we saw them build up from from the basics. Then suddenly, the, the next two they were with us. They got the drum riser, <laughs> and next to it, I mean, it just went like that, you know, because they they were learning, like mm-hmm. you know, what we all do, we all sort of pick each other's brains, I suppose. But um, but they were good. I mean, mm-hmm. they could back it up musically, and they were energetic. And we looked like we were old men then when we went on after them, <laughs> jumping around and everything, you know. <laughs> David, Lee, David Lee Roth just doing the jumps off oh, the stage. Oh, all the somersaults and God knows what else. <laughs> what did you think of uh, Van Halen as a player? Great. Very mm-hmm. good, great. He's a he's a great player. He really is. A... Let me ask you, did it influence you? Because if you listen to the Heaven and Hell record and Mob Rules, mm-hmm. your souls in that record to me seem like they're completely in a different different world, different level. Like the the technicality of it, the speed, the playing. Yeah, possibly I, your best solo albums. Yeah, I think so. But those albums, then of course with Ronnie, we pushed we pushed each other more, mm-hmm. and it was a different sort of sound from the early stuff. Uh, so it was going in a field that I liked it. I liked the way we were going and I liked the combination. And it, it pushed me to, to play more because Ronnie had always liked to hear you playing solos. So it sort of inspired you really to sort of get mm-hmm. get playing more. Um, where on the, uh, on the uh, original Sabbath stuff, I'd done more sort of, it was more the riffs and then the solo stuff was... I didn't even know where I was going to put a solo half the time on the on the on the album, you know, mm-hmm. on the track. It was funny because it, I go, well, you've sang over the part I was going to play the solo on. <laughs> <laughs> Damn singers! <laughs> yeah, but it's good for me to sing, out not Because <laughs> I know most of the time you would solo at the end of the song. You guys would play a jam, little like the Fairies or Boots or Black Sabbath or War Pigs or a lot of examples where you guys would go through it, and then the last minute or two would be you getting a jam. Yeah, it would, and, uh, and it'd be like the, the the long instrumental bit to start, you know, with fairies, and mm-hmm. like war pigs was the same long instrumental bit, and that and uh, into the void, all long instrumental bits before the the vocal mm-hmm. came came in, and then at the end it would be yeah, jam out. Here you go, yeah. We're talking about Van Halen, also Randy Rhodes as well, coming in at that time frame in the seventy nine eighty. Yeah. Um, you being one of the, like I said, the pioneers of heavy metal guitar and the soloing that you were doing, did those guys influence you to like, man, I, I'm going to change or play a little bit quicker or, or did you just keep doing your thing and not worry about it? Well, Randy Rhodes, I didn't really know that much about him, mm-hmm. to, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I knew because of Ozzy, but I didn't really... Um, I mean, for me, Eddie was the one that changed everything. For, for a lot of people, I think, he came in with this, the technique and the... And the he got the whole thing. He got mm-hmm. the charisma and and, and the, the way he played, the style he played, the sound. And he was the one, to me, that stuck out as a, as a guitar player from then on. Mm-hmm. And after that, of course, then there comes Steve Vyes and these and that and the other. But I think Eddie was the one that kicked all that off. And then, so, was there a little bit of, um, like when Ozzy leaves, you get Ronnie, Heaven Hell, great record. Big, 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 big album for you. Ozzy does uh, Blizzard of Oz, gets Randy in there. Were you kind of keeping an eye on him and like, well, geez, what's he got going on over there? Well, you, you, you do, but you don't if you're not him. And you do yeah. sort of say, well, I wonder what's happening here. So I did 
I didn't go out and buy Ozzy's album. So he, he didn't go and buy ours. <laughs> yeah. But you still, I mean, I still stayed in touch with Ozzy. We'd still, you know, mm-hmm. we'd still phone up and chat, even though we had all the aggravation going on. We'd still uh, talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It's funny, really. Funny old relationship, you know. But it, it sort of worked. Well, that's what happens to you. So you're talking about 50 years. I think it's next year, the year after. Yeah. Find me a marriage that lasts 50 years in this day and age is pretty pretty rare. Absolutely. So to be with someone for 50 years, and I know it's been on and off, but I mean that's something that's uh, that's a pretty pretty rare thing. It is, and as I say, it's been on and off, but we've always been uh, in touch with each other. He'd always phone me wherever I was, or I'd phone him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he'd be out of his skull sometimes when he called, but <laughs> bloody four o'clock in the morning, hello, so I was like, oh. or. Or vice versa, you know, me phoning them. You know, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, it's funny. There's been some guys I had rivals with over the years, especially when I was younger. And now you look back on it, and go, what? What the heck was our problem, anyways? Why? Why were we fighting? I don't know. You, you know, know, it all seems like what happened. Why? Mm-hmm. Because now, because we've lived so long, and us now, we we get we 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 give each other space. And I think at the time. My problem was I, w- I wanted to b- be a perfectionist. I couldn't help. I'd always sort of, it's going to be right. This is going to be right. That's going to be right. And sometimes it, not everybody's the same. And it clashes, you know. Mm-hmm. But we find now that we all give each other the space. And uh, <laughs> we give each other that much space. We don't see each other much now. <laughs> so Because, you know, it's a different thing to how it was in the early days where we'd all travel together or be in the same room together or be in the same dressing room together, on stage together, all the time, you know, mm-hmm. live in each other's pocket. And now it's quite the opposite. We all have separate dressing rooms. Not because we we don't get on, it's just the way it is. Because I like to have a, a play for a bit and they don't want to sit there listening to me. And the same Ozzy has to warm up and it, it just becomes everybody has their own space. And the same in the hotel. You know, we don't, the day off, you never see anybody. And that's oh, yeah. sometimes fans think that's oh, a band. You guys are hanging out together. It's like the Beatles and Help, where they open four separate doors and walk into the one big room yeah. where they all live. Yeah. Right? You know? yeah, it does. It's, it's not that way. It's not that way anymore. It's and we're not the. I mean, it, you know, so many other bands are exactly the same. They don't. You Guns and Roses is like that. I just saw yeah. them last week, and they they all have separate dressing rooms. You know, don't see each other really yeah. on stage. Yeah, and it's not because you don't get on. It's just that the yeah you just do that and uh, give each other the space and. Uh, and have your own private thing, you know. Um, because when you're all in one dressing room, God, you drive each other mad at the end of the day. <laughs> it's great fun, but when, but after, you know, getting on for 50 years, you wouldn't want to be doing that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you mentioned something that was interesting to me when you said that uh, you're, you used to be a perfectionist. And Ozzy, as a performer, like live rock and roll is live rock and roll. Yeah. If you want it perfect, go listen to the record. Yeah. Ozzy's not a perfect singer live, mm. but he's a great entertainer. He is, yeah. And that... People hear with their eyes when it comes to that. Yeah, absolutely. Have you? Was that something that used to drive you crazy back in the day? If Ozzy wasn't having a good night, or no, I think it was more for if I wasn't having a good oh. night because I'd try and play. I used to get frustrated because I want to play this, and I, you know, my own. I'd, I'd criticise myself a lot and want to do this and want to do that. But yeah, I mean, we'd have to. What would drive me crazy if we're supposed to be somewhere and we're late or this and that and the other? And I suppose I'm, I'm still the same now. I like to be on time and uh, and and with the old with with the band, 
in the old days, it was always geezer that would get up and it, it would, we'd be sitting there, I'd be waiting for him. 20 minutes, he better give him a call. I'm in the shower. Well, we're all in the lobby waiting. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. You say, oh, no, it's in. Just, uh, but now we've, uh, it's different altogether. Now. But as the ipso factor, you know, leader of the band, or at least the musical director of the band, was there ever a time when Ozzy didn't show up for a gig or he's... he's... We'd had a few, <laughs> few things like that, yeah. One night, it, it, it was, we'd arrived at the... Hyatt House in Atlanta, I think, and uh, he wasn't feeling that well in the day, and um, he took some night nurse. But instead of having a, a spoon of it, he drank the bloody bottle of it, uh, unknowing to us. Of like Nyquil or something? Or yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he went up to what he thought was his room because his door was open. The maid was in there, and he walks in. Falls asleep on the bed. The maid thought it was his room. Goes out, and then we we got the gig, and we're thinking, well, found him. Everybody's found in his room. Where is he? And we got the we got the chap to come and open the door. And there's his suitcases there, un- unopened. We thought, what's happened? And then we thought he's been kidnapped. All this. The, then we had a thing over the TV. You know, <laughs> really? Looking, oh kidnapped. yeah, yeah. We're trying to, you know, we're, and he uh, and on the radio trying to locate where he is. And nothing, we couldn't, we went, what the hell's happened? So we had to, Van Halen were on with us at the time, funny enough. So they played their set and we couldn't go on uh, because everybody's panicking, nobody slept on the night. And of course, so we cancelled the gig and, and it's, nobody got any sleep, we were all worrying where he is. The next morning, he, he, he woke up and phoned up, what's happening? What? What do you mean? What's happening? You, you've uh, you've missed the gig. It was it was last night. <laughs> he thought it was still the same day. Oh, it's just like oh. So yes, that has happened. <laughs> oh, that's great. He was in the wrong room, and no one could find him. Oh, it's just I mean, how many do that? You know. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Tell us, uh, there's a great part in Spinal Tap with the Stonehenge. Yes, the little Stonehenge. And the rumor that I'd always heard was, was based on, a, on, on on you guys on Saturday yeah. when you did the uh, Born Again act record. You, That's you right. had a song called Stonehenge. Mm. And in the movie, they they make the wrong size Stonehenge, and it's a tiny Stonehenge. Yeah. Yours was the opposite? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was Guise, actually. He drew the idea out of this Stonehenge. Same sort of thing. Gave it to the guy, and we'd never seen anything for ages, you know. And uh, they went, yeah, it's all on the way. It was all being built and whatever. And this thing, eventually, when we were due to go on tour, we were going to rehearsal in in, in Birmingham NEC, which you've probably been yeah, on times. There, yeah. So we, <clears throat> we were rehearsed. We had no stages on the floor. And this monstrosity comes in. <laughs> well, blimey. It was huge. It was like... 
it was bigger than the real Stonehenge. They actually brought all these um, things in. You go, you are kidding. We can't be. And it was coming in, and then more stuff coming in. The mon all the monitors were done in uh, this false rock side fills. Then the the things with my amps in the uh, cabinets in, and then at the back these huge columns. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And we'd done two gigs with it. We couldn't fit it anywhere. <laughs> we'd done Reading Festival and we'd done a show in Ireland. <laughs> and we took it on, tried to take it on too, but it was just too much. <laughs> so we ended up leaving it at the, they left it at the dock, the back, the very back, big part of it. So he was supposed to put feet and they did it in meters or something? Yeah, or? it just, it just, so it was, it was supposed to be nothing like that size. <laughs> right. And he just drew it out. And blimey. But it's funny, because when Spinal Tap came in, I never knew what Spinal Tap, who they were. And Don Arden said, we've got a photo shoot with this band called Spinal Tap. And I went, well, why? Uh, why are we doing a front cover? Who, who are they? He went, well, they've done a movie and they've, you know, they've based some of the bits on, on you, uh, on Sabbath. So, oh. So Giza and myself went along for this photo shoot with them, you know. Which we did, and I still didn't know. You didn't know they were wearing wigs. What they'd done, I didn't know anything about them. <laughs> you know, we just had some. We had a ordered a Chinese, and after the photo shoot, and just had a chat, and that was it. None the wiser. And then, then of course, when the movie came, when I saw the movie, I, mean, I realised what it was all about. <laughs> <laughs> were they talking to you in their English accents? Were they still keeping it going? No, no, okay. they, they, no. They, they broke character. Yeah. So, what did you think when you saw the movie? Did you know that was... Well, yeah, well, as soon as this, this bloody, you know, <laughs> Stonehenge came about, uh, yeah, and the, and, the, and the little midget and everything, because we, we had the same thing. We had a, 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 a midget. When we had the, Yeah, when we had the Stonehenge, we had... Um, it was Don Arden's idea again. I got this great idea. I don't know if you've ever seen the Born Again album, where it's got a baby on it. The cover, In yeah. the red, yeah. And like a Don, possessed baby. Yeah, that's it. And Don's idea was, well, we'll have this on stage. A possessed baby? Well, he got a, he got a midget. <laughs> one of these midgets from Star Wars. We had one of the ones from Star Wars. It was a real star, I've got to tell you. Anyway, he had this outfit for him, like a rubber outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and his eyes lit up. So what he'd have to do... Before the show, uh, that uh, he'd run across the top of the small stone ends, which was as high as this, mm -hmm. the small bits with the cabinets in. He'd run across it, and the idea was he'd jump off onto the drum rise and then jump down and go like this or whatever he did, and his and eyes would yeah. yeah, And then it, the show would start. But um, that went for a bit, but the, the crew didn't like him because he was a bit too much of a star for them, you know. And he, he, and so they, they <laughs> as he jumped off the one night, as he jumped off the, the, the thing, which would be high for him, uh, they put the lights out and you were bang, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, it was just like, we had, we had to get rid of him in the end. It was like they killed him. They hung him up upside down on the bloody, um, we, we, we went down one day, where's the midget? Oh, he's up there. Up in this, oh, the yeah, don't get upside down, trusses. yeah. Oh. Would people like laugh when they saw that at the beginning? It's supposed to be evil, but it's a little midget. It was rubber. real cheesy. <laughs> and, and me and Geese are going to die. You can't do that. Don's going, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> it was like, no.
<laughs> it, it, let me ask you this: talking to, to Paul Stanley about Kiss in the '80s, how he kind of held held the band together when Gene was off doing movies and all this other stuff was going. You did the same thing. You basically held Black Sabbath together through mid '80s through the mid '90s. Yeah. Was it hard for you to still have you know the legacy of the band is so massive, but the band is not at the point in time? It was it was difficult because I've always been in Black Sabbath, and so when people have left because of, of, of unseen things, if they're like, we, the, he's left for a period and came back, and RCF came back, Bill left, came back, mm-hmm. which is very odd, you know. I don't know of a band that's done so many times, people coming back. You're the only guy that's always mm-hmm. been in Black Sabbath. I've been there. Yeah. So as soon as somebody leaves, you bring somebody in to replace them. And it happened that, uh, that's what happened, you bring another drummer in and uh, another uh, singer or whatever it was. But it was difficult. It did get difficult mm-hmm. because you, you, you know um, you feel like you are cheating a bit. But it's but it's. I think well, I've never left. I've always been in Black Sabbath, and somebody leaves, you, you replace them like you do with any any mm-hmm. band, you know. But it it, it was hard. I don't know, there's no two ways about it. But again, we had different success in other other places. I mean, I had another singer called Tony Martin. Great singer. Yeah. Kind of the forgotten man in the sound. Yeah, legacy, absolutely, right? absolutely. And, um, you know, we probably had the biggest record we've ever had in, in Europe. Was it the Headless with, Cross? With him, Headless Cross, yeah. Look at you. We had Cozy Powell. Great drummer. Yeah. And Cozy was with us for a while. And uh, Cozy and myself always threatened in the, in the 70s, you know, we got because he was playing with, I think, um, Jeff Beck then. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd always uh, see each other, you know, and say, well, we have to do something one day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, the day came when, when we could actually get together and play. But, um, but yeah, it's different. There's been a lot of people in and out. I mean, I had the drummer from The Clash with me for a bit. I don't really? know if you knew that. I didn't know that didn't one, know did that you? One, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know about the Midget Press as a devil either, so you got a few. <laughs> Who's that? Is his name? Terry Chimes. Okay, Terry Chimes, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, which was a real odd choice, but he came along and he played. I thought, oh, Brimey, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's quite good. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I went and done some shows in uh, South Africa and uh, we took Terry out and, uh, yeah, he was, he was good. Mm. Now he's a chiropractor, believe it or not. <laughs> Are you going to do something with the, the Tony Martin records? Well, yeah, that was the plan because uh, to re to re have a look at those. I saw Tony Martin only a few months ago mm-hmm. and Cozy was presented with a plaque in, um, in, in Sinus. He's since passed and, away a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. And um, Brian May and myself uh, were asked if we'd unveil the, um, the plaque for him. So we did and, uh, and Tony Martin was there so I had a chat with Tony. And what's and, the plan? Well, I just said to him, you know, I'm thinking of doing something. Do you want to do fancy doing a couple of tracks uh, to add to mm. the album or something maybe like that, you know? And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, that could be on the cards. So, uh, there's no plan when, but mm-hmm. uh, once we've finished with this, and probably have a look at some other stuff, you know, what we're going to do. I don't want to stop playing. It's Just for me... It's the tour in now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be a day when you've got to go. Well, look, you know, we've done it for 50 years now. It's, it's almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. It's time to 
really look at it again now. You know? Is that kind of like, how is it for you now that is this the, the literal, the end, final tour? Yeah, it feels almost, it's, I don't think it's sunk in on some cases and other, other places it has. When we did Australia early on in the year, it was like, this is the last time we're going to be here as this band, you know. And it sort of sunk in then. And it's getting a bit like that now because this will be the last time on this tour. That you're in New York City. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the whole... Whatever city uh, you're yeah, in is yeah, the last time. Yeah, it's going to be the last time on, on this tour. Although I think we are coming back to two places uh, in the second leg. When we go to South America, I think we're doing San Antonio and... and uh, a few, a few last gigs, of, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, to know that they're... The, the, the sort of final things is yeah it's a bit weird really. mm -hmm. it is weird and uh, we're not sort of making a big thing of it on the night it's sort of like we play and come off you know but I think it'll uh, yeah, yeah, eventually as it gets closer it's suddenly going to go bang because oh, mm -hmm. wow. it goes fast it does you know it when does. you see that itinerary at the beginning and there's 40 gigs on it next thing you know it's like the last one yeah well there was like 80, 84 shows and um, blimey, hang on, we've we, we, we not got that much more to go. We've got the, this American tour, then we do uh, South America, mm -hmm. and then we'd finish up in uh, the UK. And now, because you, you had some issues with cancer, that's all cleared up and gone? Well, uh, that must have been hard touring with that as well. It was difficult because we, we actually wrote the album and recorded it through that as well. And were you the, thinking at that point like I better record this record because you never know yeah I, I thought at that point well this is it you know mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not going to be around this till next year that's really what I thought and I thought let's get it done and everybody really pulled and uh, I think they all sort of felt a bit like that mm -hmm. so uh, we we worked at my house at the, at the studio because because I was having treatment I had to stay I couldn't fly or anything I had to stay in England and uh, so everybody came and we worked at my house and mm -hmm. uh, put the stuff together. Were you having to go get treatment too in between gigs? And yeah, stuff? in between in, in between writing and stuff. I was mm -hmm. going for treatments, and I had to go every day for for radiotherapy. So it was quite a quite a lot of stuff. And uh, I mean, they see me go through the wheel, my hair fell out, everything went, and lost a lot of weight, and uh, it was awful, really. Mm -hmm. But they just carried on as normal, you know. Well, you know, go and have a lie down if you feel like it, and we'll carry on, and or we'll do it tomorrow. And so they were all pretty, you know, mm -hmm. understanding. And we managed to do it. And then I, I was still going for a different treatment while we were touring. Every six weeks, I'd have to go and have a, a, a treatment. But uh, so we done the tours like uh, we worked it out uh, around that. In route. blocks, right? Yeah, now. yeah. So that, I had to have that for a year. So we worked it out in blocks. When I come back, I had the treatment and I had to wait to feel better to go on the road again. Yeah. You know, but it, it, it sort of worked. I had Bruce Dickinson on this show last year and the same thing happened. They were recording the record. He had the tongue cancer. Yeah. Maybe, had no yeah. idea. And then the record's done and they got to stop for a year while he goes and gets treatment and gets better. That's right. Which, you know, it's like when real life comes in, the music has to, has to wait. It was, it was difficult because... Uh, it made it, I think it made the music a bit more intense as well because feeling that that, that oh God, this is, this could possibly be the last time we'll ever do an album and play or maybe not even be able to tour. Mm -hmm. 
so it, it was very emotional for everybody, I think, at that time, because nobody knew what was... You know, I mean, we never know anyway. Did sure. We? But, but, you know, uh, it was just that feeling. And, um, and then, of course, when we... Uh, went to record the album and, and Rick Rubin wanted to do it in his studio in LA um, I had to come over for and, and we'd do the same again we'd record for a bit and I'd have to go back to England have a treatment and wait there for a month and then come back to carry on the recording but, but you know mm -hmm. that we had to work around it yeah sure you know I have to tell you this story um, as we get towards the end here uh, so the first reunion tour the 13 tour you guys came to Tampa where I live and I had just taken my son to see the Stones he was nine so I said you want to go to Black Sabbath I wanted to take him to see you guys he's like yeah sure I'll go I said well Ozzy swears a lot he said that's okay I, I play Call of Duty <laughs> just a bit yeah <laughs> so we're watching and you guys had these screens with all these visuals like these really like there's Jesus on the cross getting oh, eaten by a snake yeah, and there's you know what? Oh. two nuns naked making out covered in blood and I'm looking at my poor son and <laughs> it's like we, we should probably leave he's like yes dad let's leave because it was some creepy stuff oh you know what <laughs> are you saying that you know I never because we're always facing that way. yeah you don't know what's on back there and I'd heard a few comments from people saying you know about it and I thought well we're going to have a look at this see what, what it is I mean, you've got to stop that cut. That Did you out. watch? Oh, you yeah. You didn't even know, we right? Cut, we cut, no, you don't. Because we've seen all the opening bits and this, that, and the other. Went to okay everything. But you don't know what's going on in between on right. the songs because they're changing things as you're going on. So we, we got rid of all that. Um, but the funny thing is, uh, at home now, I'm doing a, a thing for the cathedral in Birmingham with the, the dean. I've written a, a thing for the choir and an instrumental. And um, she's, I'm, I'm really frightened in case she goes, I'd like to come and see one of the shows. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got Ozzy there effing and blind, you know, oh, I don't be like, oh, no. It was like, I had to walk out, all these parents are standing there, I'm like, I know, I'm a bad father, sorry. Oh, oh. But yeah, because I guess it's the, whoever put that together is like projecting the evil image of yeah. Black Sabbath. Yeah. But the music is, is, "Quote unquote evil enough." You're black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the imagery was just over the top. Yeah, it really was over the top. And uh, once we we obviously found out what was going on, that was it. We we stopped. That. <laughs> it's interesting to me that you wouldn't even know. I mean, that's it makes perfect sense. Yeah, because what's happening? The, the show is basically there, but as you're going on through the tour, they're adding stuff, and oh, we might have a better projection or something mm -hmm. to, for this song and so you don't see a lot of the things that go on and uh i mean even now to tell you the truth i, I don't know what's <laughs> going on behind us but i know we don't have that um i think they show more imagery of, of, of us now with different different sort of effects on it mm -hmm. because you're always facing that way they could put anything up, couldn't they? Yeah, really? yeah, you would never <laughs> I remember the, the, the two naked nuns covered in blood, making oh, out, yeah. uh, masturbating across. I like... know it was terrible. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. And I mean, I had some friends come and see us, and uh, they were they were just, oh god, that's awful. I mean, what do you mean? They had the stuff on the screen. And I go, what, what's that? Haven't you seen it? I mean, you no, oh, dear. <laughs> One uh, last little, couple of last things, but you mentioned Brian May, and I was just this came in my head on the Freddie Mercury concert in 1992. Yeah, you played rhythm guitar with Queen uh, during that concert. Like, yeah, how did that come about? 
Well, Brian's been a friend for okay. 40 years. And, um, you know, we're really best of friends and we, we're all staying. In fact, I heard from him the day before yesterday. And he's come up and played with me a few times uh, with, with Dio and I've got him up and come play. He comes to the show. He, he always comes and sees us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've done projects together on other people, you know, with, with uh, Dave Gilmore and we've done a, a thing together. And... We done a. We actually done a comedy record, believe it or not. <laughs> really? What, like you guys doing stand up oh, or something? No, it was a. It was a, a, a comedy team that wrote, had done a song. Oh, okay. And it was called the Stunk. I should have known by that, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> the Stunk. The Stunk. And uh, it got to number one in England. And I mean, it was like, oh no, I played it. And of course, the video is is of us in, in the studio putting it together. Yeah. Um, so that was him that got me into that. <laughs> to come and play with us on this and Dave Gilmore actually he was in it as well but yeah we've always been best of mm-hmm. friends and we've always you know done we've done things together he comes over the house he was very supportive when I was uh, taking any coat he'd come over and we'd sit and talk and, uh, about music or whatever you know and then um, he comes and sees us I go and see them and mm-hmm. we stay in touch and uh, we're threatening now once he said oh we've got to do we've been doing saying this for years we've got to do a project uh, an album together and so we might just you know do something uh, along the line a bit later what do you with plans like this what do you have in mind when the final show happens and you play paranoid for the last time and walk off the stage uh, what happens i'm wondering because it's uh, it's going to be such a weird thing for me because i'm Black Sabbath's always been my life, you know, ever since day one. And everything's fell by the wayside for Black Sabbath, you know, all my marriages and everything. <laughs> Over the band, basically, because of me always out working and always doing this, always in the studio. And so uh, it's going to be pretty weird, that last show. I, I, I don't even know how anybody's going to feel. Mm-hmm. It's going to be strange, I know that. And after that... Who knows? Because I've mean, been asked this. Well, what are you going to do afterwards? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as it's not world touring, I'm, I'm all right. Um, it's just the travelling that gets me now. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 since I was ill, it really does affect me now. So you're not adverse to playing shows here and there? You just don't want to go travel yeah. the world? Yeah, uh, shows here and there is fine. It's just uh, constant. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be here for a month and there for six weeks and there. And we've done it for that long now. It was, it was only when the, the, when I got ill that that's when I started getting vulnerable. Before that, I'd do road, anything. Road warrior, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd do anything. And we, and we, but it just uh, it showed me when I was when I was uh, diagnosed. I suddenly felt deflated and mm-hmm. lost a lot of confidence in everything. And you know, you, and they're going, "You well, you shouldn't be flying really. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that." Oh Christ. So that's what brought that about uh, at the end of us, really, because um, the constant touring would uh, so, does eventually get. So to there's me. still a chance that you could do a download slot one year or something I, like that. I, I wouldn't write that off mm-hmm. if somebody if if one day that came about, you know, that's uh, that's possible, mm-hmm. or, or or even I mean, it were even doing an album because that, again you're in one place. But I right. don't I don't know if that would happen, but. Um, you should open a riff store. You sell, sell your well, riffs. You know, Brian. This is when when <laughs> Brian came over the house. He said, "Can I have a listen to some riffs?" 
And I went, okay, so I, I, I put him stuff on. He's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is great one. You've got to, you've got to use this. You've got to use Oh, this one. Oh, you've got to use this. <laughs> so it was like, it's great. And he said, we've got to do something with these. You know, it was him that was in, you know, more excited about it than me. <laughs> you've got to do something with them. You've got to use them. Yeah, you open Tony on his riff, and people go on the app and they buy a riff for like you know twenty five bucks each. <laughs> Last oh, question: What's your favorite song to play live? That question's come about a lot, but it, it's always hard for me to uh, to uh, answer that one because I do like playing a majority of them. I like doing because um, now we we do Dirty Women in the show, and I, I like that as well. And I get a time to play a solo, so mm. it's it's a, a bit of an opening for me. Because at the moment now, where unlike when we were with Dio, it was quite a loose thing, and I'd play solo for a, a, a go on a bit <laughs> overindulge, really, because <laughs> he'd encourage that. But here we're we're a bit more sort of regimented. And yeah. So, but I like doing ninety uh, percent of them. I really enjoy playing. I mean, I like Iron Man and Black Sabbath. I like and mm. uh, Into the Void. That's always been, you know, quite a popular one, and for me because it's a lot of different riffs, really. Mm -hmm. Hand of Doom and Fairies, and we're doing that now. Hand yeah. of Doom, yeah, which we hadn't done for ages, you know. And there's so much more we could do. That's the that's the annoying thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to work, of course, around Ozzy what he can uh, feel comfortable with. Because no point, and we've done it before. We've added loads of songs. Um, in rehearsal, it's fine, but as soon as you get on tour, you realise it's hard for him to... Because when he recorded those songs, it was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was so long ago, and he was singing high. His melody lines are so high. Yeah. You know, to sing them now in your mid-late 60s, I mean, who could do that? Absolutely. And it's, it's, it happens with every singer, I mean, who's mm -hmm. been around a long time. That's you, true. you have to change the key, and or you have to pull it out and do a, do a, something else. Yeah. And that's sort of what's happened with us. We, we can only play what he can do. Mm -hmm. um, I say we learnt all these songs, and it's great, you know, to, to play them, but then you go, oh, we can't do them. Yeah. Um, and when we do, do them sometimes at soundcheck, we play it. Like what are the couple of the ones that you had learned, just out of curiosity? Well, we'd learned to, oh, God. I can't think of that now, but we'd, we'd like done... Like Snow Blind or Oh, no, we do that. That's in the okay. show. A symptom of the Universe. We know we'd never do that. So high. Yeah. It, I mean, that is... It was I when he did it in yeah. the originally, <laughs> let alone now. Uh, Lord of This World. Oh, and okay. uh, You know, we've done a, a, sort of a, a variety of stuff. And uh, Wicked World and things like that, which we'd done in re rehearsal. But now, as I say, you've got to be sensible about it. It's no point saying, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a list of them. And then he goes, and then like, I can't sing it. Mm -hmm. And then you pull out, and the lighting bloke's fluking out. On it. What's happening? Because <laughs> you don't tell anybody, he only tells me, I can't do that. It's up to you to sing the lyrics. <laughs> so everybody's there counting in. <laughs> oh, no, no. Stop, stop. <laughs> Tony, it's a pleasure to talk with oh, you, man. Great. Thanks, it's, uh, like I said, one of the, the greatest riff writer of all time. And we've Thank been you. working on setting this up for a while, so it's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, you know, finally got I know. it together. It worked out, man. Yeah. It worked out, so I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's really hard to believe that Black Sabbath are really finished after this tour. I think the last couple of shows are in February in Birmingham, like Tony said. But it'll be interesting to see if Tony's collaboration with Queen guitarist Brian May happens. And of course, like Tony said, he'll still do the occasional one-off show with Black Sabbath. So anyways, at this time, Black Sabbath's farewell tour is done in the States. They wrapped up their last shows over the weekend. I think the last one was in San Antonio. Now they're headed to Mexico and South America, and then they'll perform their last shows ever. Uh, hopefully not, but that's what they're saying at home and 
Birmingham, England. Go see them if you have a chance. It's the legendary Black Sabbath. And thanks so much to Tony Iommi. How great of a 300th episode was that? I got. I went to New York City. I've been working on trying to get Tony for a while. Uh, finally, I went and got him uh, got him interviewed in New York City at SummerSlam time, and we were there in New York. And uh, they were based in New York doing a bunch of gigs. I think they were in New Jersey and Philly and that sort of thing. So I just happened to catch him. He had a day off. I had a day off, and it just worked out perfectly. Thanks so much to Tony Iommi and Kevin Chiaramonti, my good friend, who's uh, helped hook me up with a lot of great guests, including Mark Tremonti, including William Shatner, and uh, right here, Tony Iommi. So thanks to all of you as well, everybody who's listened to uh, even one episode of Talk is Jericho. If this is your first, welcome to the show. If it's your 300th, thank you so much for being a long-time listener. And if it's your second, well, I'm just glad that you came back. Uh, I do this show because I love it. I love talking to people. I find it's a real challenge to get great guests. And like I said, anybody that I have on my show, give them a chance whether you've heard of them or not because I don't put people that I don't think you're going to enjoy on this show. I got so many great guests uh, in the can um, that will be coming up over the next few months. And I'm constantly on the hunt for new guests because uh, that's the way I believe in, in doing things for you guys. Uh, like I said, I got a, a great show about the Sex Pistols featuring the original uh, bass player Glenn Matlock coming up. We got Talk and Shop Live from Shanghai. We got O'Shea Jackson. We got the Kindred Spirits. We got Norman Smiley. Uh, Kenny G's coming up. Got a lot of great, uh, great, great, great guests coming up. And I'm going to continue to scour the planet and take my pillowcase of rock and roll with me to get the best guests for you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and if you want to support this show, remember, I couldn't do it without my sponsors. And if you can support them, that support me and that includes the og sponsor amazon you can find my amazon links at podcastone.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button i got amazon links for usa uk canada every time you use talk is jericho amazon links amazon kicks back a small percentage to this show to help us cover production costs you can buy just about anything you can think of on amazon no extra fees or hidden charges just go to podcastone.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button all right you'll also find my great sponsors on there ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. You get 15% off the DDP Yoga program plus three months full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. DraftKings use my promo code Y2J to play for free with no deposit this weekend. MeUndies, go to MeUndies.com slash Jericho to get 20% off your fast battle and free shipping in the USA and Canada. Thank you for being here and thanks for checking out the shows on the Jericho Network uh, on Podcast One. Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus is definitely killing it for sure. Uh, great, smart pro wrestling discussion and analysis about today's uh, wrestling themes. They release new episodes every Tuesday. It's 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 funny and Don Callis is a, is a star for sure. Team Tiger Awesome dropping ridiculous pop culture comedy every Sunday morning and the Jericho Network's flagship show Keeping It 100 with Conan is just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, this week's show is an Eddie Guerrero tribute with Vicky Guerrero Ray Mysterio, Ray, Ray's son Dominic. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. It's becoming uh, the the biggest show in Keeping It 100 history. They got great guests, and Conan is, a, is another star, like I say. So subscribe uh, at iTunes for all three shows. Leave them five star ratings, and keep yourself entertained all week long. And don't forget March 15th, 2017. It's the, the biggest, biggest 
podcast ever when Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho in only 115 days and counting. All right, another huge Talk is Jericho live podcast coming up this weekend in Toronto. It's on Sunday, November 20th at the Bassett Theater. And it's a good thing you have an opportunity to get tickets because we've had a guest change. AJ Styles is out. He had to withdraw. But my best friend, Kevin Owens, stepped in to save the day. Uh, he said, of course, I'll do your live podcast. What are best friends for? That will be a Sunday, November 20th at the Bassett Theater. There's still a few uh, brunch tickets left. That starts at 10. There's a few VIP tickets left. That starts at, uh, that's after the show. And then, of course, the live talk is Jericho. It's going to be a great experience. Uh, go to markupmoments.com to buy tickets for the brunch, meet and greet, see the show itself. Talk is Jericho live at the Bassett Theater with my best friend, Kevin Owens. Come check us out and then go over to Second City Theater, uh, Second City uh, over uh, just across the street. You can go check out my good friend Jim Ross. He has a show that starts at 2. And then go to Survivor Series. It's going to be huge. Goldberg versus Lesnar. And, of course, the 5-on-5 SmackDown versus Raw. It is going to be a barn burn. I'm telling you what. So uh, thank, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to Tony Naomi. And, and keep listening for the 60-second APD News headlines coming up next. And coming up this Friday is Talk is Jericho live in New York City with Christian. That's right. We had a great time. Lots of laughs. Some great questions from you guys. It was the first example of a markout moment show that we did with Christian in New York City at uh, Caroline's Comedy Club. We're going to do it again with Kevin Owens on Sunday at the Bassett Theater keep doing my best to bring you guys the greatest entertainment christian live in new york city coming up on friday be there be square stay hard stay hungry peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy you can download new episodes of talk is jericho every wednesday and friday at podcast that's podcast one.com